This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the Weekend Mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLegaJet1. And I am joined, as always, by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's pick up where we left off with our old friend Michael Telford from Russell Street Report, who was on the podcast to talk about Chad Alexander and Phil Savage since he covers the Ravens in the wake of Deion Jones signing his extension with the Atlanta Falcons. Deion Jones got four years, $57 million with 34 guaranteed, which is obviously significantly less than what C.J. Mosley got. And what I will say, and I assume, Chris, your answer will probably be something similar, is that we all knew that the Jets overpaid for C.J. Mosley. We accepted it, and it was one of those deals where he was going to stay with the Ravens unless the Jets knocked his socks off and they decided they would rather pay top dollar for top quality than to spend a few million dollars less and get a lesser linebacker. So that's my answer. Plus, on top of that, Deion Jones, obviously, by signing early, gave the Falcons a hometown discount. So it's not entirely comparable. But as far as I'm concerned, as long as Mosley plays to his capabilities and the Jets get what they thought they were paying for, I'm fine with the overpay because that's what we knew they were doing in the first place. Yeah, I I hate when people do this, uh, to do the, oh, well, this guy got this much, and so you, you, this other guy is now overpaid. That has, That's not how it works. Each situation is different. You can do that kind of with quarterbacks uh, for a lot of the time because they so – the good ones so rarely change teams, but the Jets had to overpay for C.J. Mosley to get him out of Baltimore. And yeah, okay, I'd rather have Deion Jones, especially on that contract, than C.J. Mosley on this contract. But guess what? The Jets weren't going to have a chance at Deion Jones either. So what? So they just don't pay C.J. Mosley and then just have the huge hole at linebacker. That that doesn't help them. It'd be one thing if they if the argument was that you could have had a shot at Deion Jones, but that's not how it would have worked. So the only way that they could have got C.J. Mosley was to overpay him. They had all the money to do it, so they overpaid him. Uh, to, to bring them, uh, make a comparison about that is just silly to me. There's pointless two different situations. The Jets needed to pay him there. Deion Jones is staying in Atlanta. and The Jets weren't going to have a shot at him anyway, so why bring him up in this, this discussion? Next question comes in from Jets Joe 73. He says, if Jets camp breaks out into an all-out brawl, who would be the last man standing? Kalecchio Semele, case closed. Yeah, 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 Kalecchio Semele. Uh, that, that, it's, it's really, again, we're, we're back here at this where I can't even, I'd love to try to come up with somebody else here. You know, try to come up with a, a fun answer here, but Kalecchio Semele is just a monster and like he, you just look at him in his face if he gets mad. He's like the Hulk, man. You don't want to make, don't make Kalechi angry. Don't do it. Next question comes in from G Tucker one 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 five. He says, if you could have any player from any other team in the league based on what the Jets have currently, who would it be? So obviously it wouldn't make sense to ask for Patrick Mahomes if you're a believer in Sam Darnold. You would want to get somebody that you believe would make a major impact in a spot that the Jets have a big hole. So this is a really interesting question. 
I'm tempted to say somebody like Laramie Tunsil because the Jets really need a big-time young left tackle that could be there for the next 10 to 12 years. But when it's all said and done, i got to go with the pass rusher, so I'm going Miles Garrett. Yeah, this this is an interesting question here because, you know, they could go a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, obviously Jets need cornerbacks. You could go corner. I don't even know who I'd go with at cornerback, though. Um, and I'm, that's definitely not going to be my answer with the way that uh, NFL offenses throw the ball around so much. Uh, they could go on the defensive side of the ball. Someone uh, I'd probably go with Khalil Mack over uh, Miles Garrett. I think that would just be perfect for this. But I'm going on the offensive line here. Uh, I'm I, the and really I'm I'm plucking somebody from a Cowboys offensive line here. The question is, do I go with someone like Travis Frederick at center? and fill, fill that center hole, or do I just go ahead and just grab Tyron Smith and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not messed around. Uh, you give me the ability to take anyone, I'm taking Tyron Smith and just plugging him in there. Now, the only reason that I decided on Garrett over Khalil Mack and that I would take Laramie Tunsil over Tyron Smith is age and obviously wear and tear on the body. We've seen the injuries with Khalil Mack and Obviously, Tyron Smith is getting up there, too. So that was my thinking there. But end of the day, you can't lose with any of those guys. But if you made me pick one player in the league based on who the Jets currently have, not starting a roster from scratch, because I think we'd all agree if you're starting a roster from scratch, the only answer is Patrick Mahomes. But if you're talking about what the Jets already have, I would go with Miles Garrett. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Ian Bartholomew. He says... What has Joe Douglas achieved so far? What's the big deal with this guy? Is the team even any better than the day he arrived? He's obviously kidding around. Mm -hmm. Joe Douglas is not a miracle worker. Very smart front office guy with a great track record, but it's going to take some time, and I know Ian knows that. He's just messing around. I'll tell you what he's achieved. He achieved uh, getting a dream job, a job that uh, pretty much all sports fans would have. That's what he has achieved so far. And that is nothing to sneeze at. That's a hell of an accomplishment. I, I know that was a tongue-in-cheek question, but that that's a serious answer. That, that's a big accomplishment that any of us would be celebrating if it was us uh, getting that uh, that job. He also achieved a cool new nickname, Bam Bam. Yeah, there you go. 
we'll we'll see if he's willingly embracing the nickname, but that's not how nicknames work. So sorry, Bam Bam, you're stuck with it. That's right. No matter what, he is Bam Bam Douglas. And personally, I think it's a pretty badass nickname. Next question comes in from AJ Tranzano. He says, any chance Ben Braden pushes Winters in camp? I remember last year they were high on him. Also recently, I heard about Eric Smith was with the Dolphins and Patriots last year. Gase brought him in. Does he compete for a backup position or is he just a camp body? Is there anybody else on the O-line to keep an eye on other than Adoga? So I'm going to say that Braden will probably not push Winters in camp. I just don't see him being able to beat Winters out for the job. Winters isn't great, but I think he's certainly significantly better than Braden. I honestly don't know enough about Eric Smith, but if Gase brought him in here, I would assume it was for a reason and he'll get a shot to stick. I don't think that he would bring him in here just to be a camp body if it's someone that he personally liked and brought in from the Dolphins. So I could be wrong. Maybe he is a camp body, but I'm guessing he'll get an honest chance. And as far as guys to keep an eye on on the offensive line besides the starters and Adoga, I don't really think there's anybody to keep your eye on besides those guys, to be honest with you. I wish there were, but I don't see it. Yeah, I don't I don't know that you can really call any of the people on the offensive line uh, right now, any of them camp bodies, just because of how poor the depth is on and the uh, this team on the offensive line, the, I I don't know much about Eric Smith either, so I you know I can't say anything one way or another about him. But uh, this Brent Quale is right now penciled in to be like the sexiest guy. He's been here forever. You can't tell me that any of the other guys isn't close to that, isn't able to compete for that. Uh, I agree. I don't think Brent, Ben Braden is going to actually be able to win and get the starting job. I think it's, it might be a little closer than you think it is, but uh, unless Winters gets hurt, I don't see that happening. But there's just so little depth and just these, these, the depth that there is here uh, that, I, that I know, that I'm aware of, uh, have a familiarity with is not good. So I, Eric Smith, anybody else, that they, I can't uh, classify them as camp bodies right now. I just can't do it because the depth is just that bad. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Marshall Siegel. He says, do you see the Jets making a trade or signing a cornerback or center, or are Gase and Douglas okay with opening the season with Roberts and Harrison as the starters in those positions? We've answered this before, so I'm just going to give a brief rehash. Basically, I think they're prepared to go into the season with Roberts and Harrison as the starters. If an opportunity to bring in competition or an upgrade arises, they will investigate it and pursue it if they feel like it's to their benefit. But I do think that as of now, they are more than willing to go into the season with those two as starters if that's where this shakes out. Yeah, I agree. They're going to be willing to do it. But also, even if they weren't, I don't know how much of a a choice they have in the matter. Uh, I'm not sure that anybody's going to be available or shake free who is a hundred percent a definitive upgrade over those two guys. 
I've been saying this long, and now I know that uh, I was saying it when McCagnan was still here, but I think the Jets are more comfortable with Harrison than most fan bases. I think that applies for Adam Gase and this coaching staff as well. Um, I think they're probably a little less comfortable with Daryl Roberts there, and but I, I 100% expect them to bring in uh, another center if only to be a backup role. I just don't know that any center is going to become available who can beat out and uh, be better than Jonathan Harrison at this point. But I, I 100% expect them to bring in and add some depth along that area. And same with cornerback. They are going to address that position. Uh, if they can go ahead and swing a trade for one of the Vikings cornerbacks or something, then that would be great. And that would obviously be a huge upgrade. But I think that's the only way that I could see them uh, acquiring somebody who would be a definitive upgrade over Daryl Roberts. And again, the same thing. They're, they're going to, to sign other guys. They're going to assign some training cuts guys. They might try to swing up, you know, a, a trade or two was not going to be a huge blockbuster. It'll be more bottom roster guys, but they're going to, they're going to look to add depth there. And they're basically just going to have to go, go fight with what they have this year and then look to really make those huge upgrades in the next off season. Next question comes in from Peter Dillard again. He says, Scott and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, I'd like to revisit the Jadavian Clowney situation. Would you guys make a trade for him? If so, who and what would you trade? Also, what do you think the asking price for Clowney would be? So I'd investigate it. I don't love the idea of trading premium picks and having to pay Clowney a ton of money. I think that the highest I'd be willing to go would be a third rounder that could become a second rounder if, say, Clowney were to get double-digit sacks. Beyond that, I just don't know because he's an okay pass rusher, an excellent run defender, but they already have a really good run defense, at least on paper, so they don't necessarily need that so much. They really need a pass rusher, and Clowney has shown flashes, but I haven't seen anything from him to show that he's anything more than an average pass rusher so far, so... I would investigate it if they could get him for maybe a third rounder with the potential to be a second rounder. If he got double digit sacks, I'd think about it. But mm, I don't know. I'm torn on it, to be honest with you. I just don't love the value there, especially considering how much you're going to have to pay him. Yeah, you're going to have to pay him so much. And then we'd be re-entering the whole Sheldon, Leo, and uh, Muhammad Wilkerson debate because Leonard Williams will be up for a new contract next year. And then how are you going to use both the Williamses and the Clowney at the same time? You could obviously make that work. And Clowney has done some standing up as outside linebacker with the Texans. But that's a whole lot of money to be investing in, in that line where without a true pass rusher, where Quinton Williams probably projects to be your best actual pass rusher. And he's still on the rookie contract. And then there's the injury history with Clowney. And then also to, to make all of this, everything we both said, completely moot, the Texans don't even have a GM. So who are, who am I even calling? If I'm Joe Douglas, who do I even call to talk to this about? I don't even know who to call. Am I calling Bill O'Brien directly? Like, who are you negotiating with right now? They're a mess over there. I don't know. Do you have to call the owner to do this? Like, so I just, I don't see them doing anything like that. Um, it would probably, you know, a, second or third round pick but again you're gonna have to give him a huge contract 
he's got all that. He's got the injury history, and like you just said, and I've been saying all along, he, if I'm going after, if I'm spending money, I, it's not. I'm not against spending money on the defensive line and going after somebody big here, but make that uh, Miles Garrett. Let's let's do that fantasy trade and bring it Miles Garrett. Yeah, I'll pay him the money, or you know, go with the outside linebacker like Khalil Mack. I. If I'm going to pay big money to the defensive line to fit on this team, he has to be somebody who is an absolute beast as a pass rusher. And Clowney is a good pass rusher, but much better run defender than he is at pass rush. And, I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably stay away from doing that. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from the Jet Ranger. He says, out of the Jets' first four games, which one do you anticipate the team missing Herndon the most? It's an interesting question. I think that they may end up missing him the most against the Browns because they're going to be bringing the rush a lot, I think. And so the safety valves will be important. You're going to see a lot of Jamison Crowder and a lot of Le'Veon Bell. And Herndon would have been right in the mix there. So that would be my answer. I think they'll miss him the most against the Browns. Yeah, it it kind of depends on the perspective you take on this. Because I'm not going to say the Patriots because you kind of expect them to lose that game anyway. So I'm going to look at it as I'm going to say the Bills because that's that's the game that I I look at. You know, I same with the Patriots with the Eagles. I kind of look at that, expect them to lose that game. So uh, the the Bills are the one team on that schedule that I think I should say, yeah, you should win that game. So missing Herndon there is probably going to hurt them the most. That's a game that they should win. And uh, I, I'm not saying that that now I'm going to make the Bills the favorite because Herndon's not out. But uh, but yeah, that that would be a problem. That's that's the game that I look at those first four games, thinking they have the best chance to win. So not having their starting tight end will probably hurt them the most in that game. Speaking of the Bills, that plays into our next couple of questions from Michael Christopher, who says, "Have you heard anything about what Gase thought about Darnold before the draft?" Also, why are the Bills getting so much praise for their offseason? See, we tied back to the Bills. Yes, they tried to improve their offensive line, but they signed a lot of backups. Ford was a good pick, but to say they had a great offseason, I don't see it. I think the Jets should clearly be number two in this division. Do you agree? So let's start with the Darnold thing. Chris, maybe you know more than I do, but I have no idea what Adam Gase thought about Darnold going into the draft because... I believe Gase himself said he didn't really study the quarterbacks that much. So whatever his opinion would have been would have just based on the little bit that he had seen. So I don't think he had a fully developed opinion. As far as the second part of this, yeah, I think the Bills offseason was a little bit overrated myself. I do like the Mitch Moore signing, but he gets hurt a lot. So who knows there? And I do like Ed Oliver, but I think Quinn Williams is a much better player than him. And on top of all of this, let's get back to what this really comes down to. Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen. Give me Sam Darnold any day of the week because realistically, you can add receivers and all these other guys around Allen, but if he's throwing balls 10, 15 yards over everyone's head, 
that's going to have to change if they're going to end up being good. So I do think the Bills offseason was overrated a little bit. I thought they did fine, but I don't know why everybody was saying that they won the offseason or that they're easily the number two team in the division. I think that the Jets and Bills will probably go head-to-head for that second spot in the division behind the Patriots. Yeah, with Gase, as it as stands, Gase actually he told us that they didn't do a lot of studying at all on Sam. They thought uh, Sam was going number one. They they knew that they weren't going to get him, so he didn't look at him at, at all. But he was very impressed with him during you know what the season and you know preparing for him last year and playing against him. And he's just continued. If you watched that one Jets Drive episode that the Jets released the other day, if you haven't, I encourage you to do it. And like, it's it's quite entertaining. And for nothing else, just for the throw that Sam makes in practice around the two two minute and forty five second mark. Um, but he, he didn't watch him and study Darnold at all before the draft. Um, just very very little stuff uh, at most. But he he's a full believer now. That's for sure. I'm I'm kind of with you guys on on the Bills uh, offseason being a little overrated, but at the same time, kind of, I I kind of get it with everybody else, especially because it's the Bills. They they're in Buffalo. They they have a hard time attracting free agents. They did sign a bunch of people. I really like the John Brown signing at the receiver they got there. I know everybody loves the Cole Beasley pickup, and I I like Cole Beasley as a player. I just don't know what type of match that is with Josh Allen because throwing those little five and ten yard hooks in the slant to Cole Beasley, I I see that becoming problematic for the Bills. Uh, I agree with the offensive line too. I, I Mitch Morris was a good signing, but the other players they got that he has the injury history, and then the other players that they signed. Uh, you know, are are good solid depth. They they're building depth there, but they don't have any great. Uh, they didn't bring anybody great there. And like you said, you go back to Josh Allen, and I'm still kind of amazed by people who were taking it like Josh Allen proved everybody wrong last year. Josh Allen was better than most people expected because they ran the ball with Josh Allen a whole lot more than people expected. If they're going to keep running him like that, then they can be successful game to game like that. He can do a lot of damage in yards that way, but that's going to break him down long-term. That's not going to be what they can really expect to, to carry them. I, I need to see him uh, throwing the ball successfully game in and game out, week in and week out before I really sit here and willing to say that he's proved anybody wrong. My doubt, you watch him at Wyoming, you could see the athleticism that kid has. That was not in question. I know people didn't talk about it at all, but you know that's a big part of the reason why there were a lot of people who were making jokes about now he should switch to tight end or something. Like Instead of the Lamar Jackson ones, he was getting it because of what a crazy athlete he is. That was never in question. What's in question is his ability to throw the ball. Does he have any touch? Can he throw the ball with any touch? I didn't see that last year. He's always been capable of making a couple spectacular throws here and there, but he's wildly erratic. Christian Hackenberg is a huge bust, and he's been—he's always been capable of making a couple incredible throws here and there as well. I need to see Josh Allen throw the ball really well before I 
going to sit here and say that he's proven anybody wrong. And as for the, who will be the second best team, I think the Jets have the edge there. I think that a lot of that is just due to Sam Darnold. Uh, I also just think that their offensive weapons fit Sam Darnold or a little bit more well-balanced, uh, better than they fit with Josh Allen. So I give them a little bit of an edge, but it's going to be close. The Bills aren't going to be a bad team as long as Josh Allen isn't just a complete turnover machine. But, yeah, I the, the Jets have to get the edge just simply because of Sam over Josh, uh, Josh Allen. I need to see more of him throwing the ball. I didn't see it last year. I'm sorry. And if Allen doesn't start to throw the ball effectively on a more regular basis, obviously teams are going to start game planning for that. There's no way, for instance, that you're going to be able to fool Bill Belichick with that two times a year. It's just not going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see if he ends up developing. I don't think he proved anybody wrong. I think he had a better rookie season than people expected. But as far as proving the long-term prediction wrong, he's got a long ways to go before we're willing to concede that. It may happen. But he's still got to prove it. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Prepare for Disappointment. He says, who is the best player, prime David Clowney, prime Clyde Gates, or prime Jonathan Carter? I'm going to go with Clyde Gates because he had that nickname of Clyde the Glide. So I'm going to go with Clyde Gates on this one. He was the best training camp player of the three. Oh, man, this is a great question. Uh, I, I remember I, Clowney was just before my time. But I remember watching uh, preseason games, and like I fell for it with Clowney. So I'm gonna go with Clowney. I, I like I like Gates. Gates is, Gates is a really good option there because you know I I I remember everybody else falling for it with him. I I did a little bit, but I really bit hard on Clowney. I remember watching those preseason games, and I was like, oh my god, they found somebody with this guy. And then yeah, that that didn't last very long. Uh, that was one of those. Uh, training camp preseason those was one of my first ones where i really bit hard and fell for it next question comes in from gus tune again he says who do you predict will get into the first fight at training camp i'm not sure who it's going to be against but my money's on ben braden getting into the first fight this is going to be kind of boring if i just go Calicio semily again but people for some reason in otas they seem to want to test uh Calicio assembly so i feel like that that's a good chance ben braden's a very good choice there too uh but i'll go a little bit off board and i'll say uh daryl roberts uh, he, he he gets a little feisty he gets a little angry out there on the outside i can see him mixing it up with the with the receiver right there um so i'll, I'll go off board and go with daryl roberts Chris, last question is going to come in for me of sorts because I put this on Twitter and I thought it would be a fun thing for us to discuss because we have very different taste in music and musical artists. So I asked people what their favorite concert that they'd ever attended was and also which musical act or artist they always wish they could have seen but weren't able to for whatever reason. So this could theoretically be somebody that's still around but you just haven't had a chance to see if you like or it could be somebody that was before your time or somebody that passed away before you got a chance to see them, whatever the case may be. I'll start this off and I'll say my favorite concert, man, this is a tough one. I'll give you a couple that I really enjoyed that stick out in my mind. One of them was going to see the Foo Fighters in Camden. They were outstanding. They rocked for like three and a half hours. 
Dave Grohl and those guys put on an incredible show. I was a fan of the Foo Fighters before, but wasn't like a huge fan. After that concert, it really escalated my fandom. And I think that when you do that at a concert, that shows that you put on a great show. First time I saw the Allman Brothers at the Beacon Theater was one of the best shows I've ever seen. They were just absolutely incredible with those long guitar jams. That was when Dickie Betts was still there and he hadn't been fired yet. And then I'm going to go with two kind of weird ones. They were smaller shows and they were acoustic. So I saw Cheap Trick do a double set at Town Hall in New York City years ago. They were playing a lot of songs that they don't normally play, and it was awesome to hear them without the electric guitar because it was something completely different, and it was outstanding. It was one of my favorite shows, and it still stands out in my memory to this day. And also another one along those lines, one of the first bands I really loved was Squeeze, and Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze, it's mostly Glenn Tilbrook and Chris Stifford, who are the two guys, kind of like Lennon and McCartney of Squeeze. He has a house out in the Hamptons, so in the summertime, he'll play gigs around Long Island. So I went and saw him on Long Island a couple of years ago with a friend of mine, and it was just him and his acoustic guitar playing stuff from his solo albums, playing stuff from Squeeze, throwing in some requests when people ask for it, and it was tremendous. He was terrific with just himself and the acoustic guitar. So those are the ones that really stick out to me. As far as artists I wish I could have seen but never got the chance to, Led Zeppelin's an obvious answer. The Beatles is an obvious answer. Would have loved to have seen Deep Purple, the Mark II lineup when Richie Blackmore was still there. By the time I got a chance to see them, he was already gone. The Allman Brothers at full strength with Dwayne still there. Those are the ones that stick out in my mind as the obvious answers, I think. Off the top of my head, I would say those are the ones more so than any other that I wish I could have seen. Yeah, we're definitely going to have much different answers here. Uh, I I could go with a couple of of those ones that you were just talking about, which you wanted to see. It would have been nice to go see a Led Zeppelin concert. That would have been really cool. As far as uh, the con, I'll start with the concerts that I have gone to. Though, uh, man, I, I, when I was younger, I used to go to a whole bunch more. So there's there's a lot to choose from. I remember one of the best concerts I ever saw was a Nas and Damian Marley show. Uh, that was really great. Uh, you know, but my my all time favorite concert I ever went to has to be the Lyricist uh, Lyricist Lounge tour where I saw in Philadelphia. This is a little bit of a cheat code for me here because of how many different people were there. De La Soul was there. KRS-One was there. KRS-One put on one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. Live performance. Uh, he's just absolutely amazing. Um, uh, yeah, so those two were there. It was also Eminem was there, and it was before anyone knew who Eminem was. I, I met him in the parking lot. It was a really hilarious story, but he, his microphone wasn't working, and uh, he was getting booed off the stage. He wasn't even signed to Dr. Dre yet, so everybody was like, who is this guy? And then it was like six months later, I came home one night at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I uh, turned on the TV and I saw Hi, My Name is playing on MTV. And I just called a couple of my friends. It was just like, uh, I was just like, hey, that guy we saw on concerts on TV. And the next thing you know, he was the biggest star in the world. Uh, that was one of, the, that was definitely the best concert I've ever been to, though. Uh, it was a small club in Philadelphia and I had all these people. But, you know, I've seen Wu-Tang put on great performances. Buster Rhyme is an gr- absolute great performer as well. Uh, so th- those are the top top of my list. As far as who I would have liked to see, again, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin would have been really cool. Uh, 
Jimi Hendrix would have been really cool. Prince would have been awesome. But the easy answer for this for me is Tupac. Uh, I was 16 years old when he died. I never got a chance to see that. That that would be the easy answer for me. That that would have been great. Chris, you said it best. We have very, very different answers to these questions. <laughs> but that's what makes the world go round. Everybody's got different tastes in music and movies and pop culture and sports. If everybody was the same, this would be a very boring world and you wouldn't be a very big deal because in order to be a very big deal, you have to stand out from the pack. So I think this is interesting because it shows that even though we have very different taste in music, we can still get along in so many other areas. And I respect your choices, even if they're not choices I would have made. And I assume you respect my choices, even if they're not choices you would have made, although maybe you don't. I don't know. Well, uh, some of them, some of them, I, I, I respect them. I don't know who some of them were, though. Uh, the, the same Grove Food Fighters. I mean, I, I, I love Nirvana, so that that's like kind of adjacent. That kind of works. So that that works there. But yeah, you know, we covered all the bases here because I'm sure there's there's people listening that like the stuff that you like, and I'm sure there's some that'll be like, we're looking for more answers along the lines that that I gave. So we covered a couple of different bases there. As long as you know, there's we we got that under control there. That cover them all, satisfy everybody, right? It's how we do it, right? We got to make sure that we please the crowd and send them home happy. It's what they do in pro wrestling for all the big shows. And it's what we do here on Play Like a Jet in the weekend mailbag. Chris, thanks so much for joining me as always. This was the last weekend mailbag that we're going to do before training camp starts. We're going to start those daily reports coming up on Thursday. Next week, we are going to have a packed week even leading up to that. Matt Stipulkowski is going to be back on. Brett Coleman is going to be on to talk about the Jets rookie class as we head into camp and what you should expect from them in 2019. So a lot of content coming your way on Play Like a Jet and plenty of content coming your way as well over at JetsInsider.com. That's where the very big deal Chris Nimbley and his deputy editor Alan Schechter, who's also the producer of this show, do their terrific work. So Chris, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what you've got cooking over there at JetsInsider.com. Yeah, we got some more training camp battle preview stuff coming up. Uh, really, we're just gearing up, getting ready for this training camp. Once training camp starts, we'll be pumping out a lot of content for you guys, give you the daily practice reports, uh, summations every day, and then we'll get interviews with the players to give you stuff there. I'll be talking – I'm going to try to talk to Le'Veon Bell about about some of his music and, and of course, his fit with the Jets in this offense. So we'll be looking to do, a, you know, some some straightforward football stuff. Of course, the practice reports and some more offbeat, uh, lighthearted stuff just to have some fun and mix it up every now and then. But you can find all that at JetsInsider.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at CNimbly and at JetsInsider. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at JetsInsider and at CNimbly. Make sure that you follow his deputy editor as well, at Alan, A-L-A-N underscore Schechter, S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. Read their work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.